You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. Thanks for joining our conversation today. We are thrilled to have one of our amazing coaches at Choose Recovery, Dr. Anthony Walker, joining the conversation today. Alana is not here. She is in a APSATS board meeting training all day. So you get me and Anthony in our conversation, and we're excited to have him. Dr. Walker specializes in helping men to overcome unwanted compulsive sexual behavior. He does one-on-ones. He does it in group settings. He specializes in trauma recovery and helping families that are impacted by these issues. And that's what we're talking about today. He is trained in the multidimensional partner trauma model through APSATS. He understands that when working with those who have problematic sexual behaviors, the needs for betrayed partners and families to be recognized and respected is really important. He also is a level one brain spotting practitioner, which I love. And when we got on today, I go ahead and just hit record because sometimes I forget to do that. And we organically just started a conversation about brain spotting because I know he recently finished his training. I'm going to go ahead and leave that part of our conversation in today's episode as it just, it was really fun to talk to him about brain spotting. I think there's some really good information that we shared just in communicating back and forth about it. So, the conversation today starts off with you literally just like like you would walk into the room and see us sitting at the table talking and this is what you would hear. The main part of our conversation today is talking about family disclosures. And, you know, we've talked a lot about couple disclosures and what that looks like. So what does a family disclosure looks like and who needs them? And what does even a healthy family practice What do healthy family practices look like when there's been an impact of addiction and sexual compulsivity in the family unit? Strengthening the family unit is so important when there's been that impact. So we're going to talk about that today. I think you're going to love this conversation. So without further ado, here it is. Talking in. But I think even just noodling and like brain spotting, because I love it too. I just think that the more we can help people become aware of this modality and know that it's available and that Choose has some people that are trained to do this. I think it's really, really valuable. And Anthony, I love that you got trained in this because so many men need this. So many men need this. Like, Right? Oh my gosh. I'm just coming to that realization. Like, wait, because I had my own, like, okay, I'm sober. I'm working recovery. Got some years and then I ran into some like some trauma that I didn't know about and it just threw me. And I was like, all of the strategies that I had learned previously like weren't working. It didn't didn't matter. And I'm like, what do I do? It's so frustrating. Really? And yeah, then I'm like, okay, I talked with Luke and I talked with the law and they're like, okay, this sounds like trauma. And I looked around and tried to find somebody local or that would like there's a big old wait list. And so then I did. I did my own work. Actually, I did it with Alana. And it was basically just me crying the whole time with my eyes closed for like session after session. <laughs> but the brain like reorganizes stuff and connects stuff and like processes. And now I'm like, okay, everything that I had learned to cope 
is now back to functioning like it did before. And I, then I went to the AppSats like training and that was, that was almost a test of like, okay, how much progress did I make? Cause that was heavy stuff. Like, oh my gosh, I did all of this to my spouse and I had no idea. And yeah, so the coping work worked like it needed to. So now I'm like, okay, I can get trained in this. And then there's specifically ways to additionally specialize with addiction. And yes. so I'm like, ooh, there's the crocodile modality and there's some other training. I'm like, so I really dig into it. So I'm like, I'm, I can't be the only guy. The trauma is impacting his ability to recover and to show up for his wife and cold space. And that's so important. And he can't be like, okay, I've got trauma too, so I can't be there for you. But if he can, like, I'm happy to work with anybody and say, okay, let's just, it's self-directed. So the brain does the work. I know. It's, it's amazing. I, I love that. I think that's really, really fascinating, Anthony, that you recognized that these basic tools that you had learned weren't working and what that meant. And then just going and figuring out what that meant, it meant trauma, then we deal with the trauma. And then fascinating that those tools now then are working. <laughs> I feel like that's so common, just even in the betrayed partner side, when you get to that point where like, I can't freaking do box breathing. Look, all of these basic self-care things are not freaking working. You know why? Well, okay, there's a reason why. And let's explore that. But I have loved doing I've loved working with clients and doing brain spotting it's been it's just been phenomenal because like you said the body and the brain know they were designed to know what to do to heal we just have to trust it and let it so very cool yeah so yeah I basically I did my trainings like Thursday Friday was the family betrayed families for absats and then Sunday Monday Tuesday was like brain spotting so I've Anthony that's much. It was because I'm also doing graduate school in the clinical mental health, and that suffered. <laughs> yeah, no, do that. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. Brain spotting training alone that week. That was brutal. That was brutal, and my brain hurts. <laughs> like it literally was like I had therapy schedule for that following Monday. And I called my therapist. I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going to anything. Nope. <laughs> I am a pot. Like, don't ask me any questions. I even told Scott, I'm like, don't ask me any questions. I no more questions. <laughs> I'm the goo right now. Let me just put back together. <laughs> Honestly, that's awesome. Well, I love it. So really quickly then, and we can throw this in into the episode but i would love to know anthony what what would be your pitch to men especially who are working recovery how do you think brain spotting would be beneficial and how would they know when they're ready for it what would that look like for them mm, that's a great question i mean uh, let me get focused here so I would think that's similar to like my experience. If the tools that were working, that got you to where you needed to be, and it's not perfect, but like you're showing up and you're like making space and you're not being reactive or defensive about things. Uh, if those, if the, if you're not, if you were able to do that and you like are no longer feel like you, you can do that, like you're trying and it's just not working. And it's not just like a, okay, I was 
really upset for this one day, but like it was multiple days. It ran into like weeks for me. And I was like, it's not working. I can't I thought I almost felt like my brain was short circuited. Like I couldn't, I knew what to do and I couldn't do it. And, and so that might be a signal that we've got something else going on that, okay, you've got the tools, but we need to do some exploring to see if there might be some trauma. And here's the thing. You might not even be aware that the trauma is there. I mean, I wasn't like, right. So I had to get some suggestions from, oh, well, this might be trauma might be going on for you. And so just be willing to talk to somebody about it. And then who, who can provide you with an informed opinion. Uh, yeah. And I don't, I think I, maybe everybody has some amount of trauma. Oh, and so everyone. No, it is. It's a, everyone does. As you're talking, I'm wondering too, brain spotting can really help these men who do have a difficult time. And I'm not, women do as well, but, but men that have a difficult time tapping into their emotions. When I talk about as an emotion coach, feel your feelings. And they're just like, what? Like I feel it all day long. They're cognitively feeling, but they're not actually somatically feeling. And that's what brain spotting does, right? Is it's bypassing the cognitive and getting into the subconscious part of the brain that processes all of this somatically. And we're trying to tap into that. And I think that just in general, we as humans have a hard time doing that. We, we're, it's not, that's not hardwired. We have to consciously choose to do that part. And I think that one of the biggest parts of recovery is cultivating empathy, learning how to be empathetic, which is emotional. Mm -hmm. So I'm almost thinking too, Anthony, how impactful this can be to help men tap into their emotions in their body and what that somatic experience is rather than, no, I'm feeling angry or I'm feeling, you know, sorry. It's all here cognitive. It stops, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where is this showing in your body? Well, right here. I literally just did that with my son last night. I'm like, well, what does that feel like? He's like, well, it's, and I'm like, it's, I go, Jackson, you're cognitively feeling. What does it somatically feel like? And he's like, fine. It's in my chest around my heart. <laughs> right. You have no choice but to be aware of your emotions in your body. Not when you have me as your mother. Sorry. Right. Right. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, I think that there's a real untapped opportunity for guys that are, are struggling with accessing their emotions and accessing empathy and even self-empathy uh, to like to get past their like their thinking, their cognitive part, and to connect with those those emotions and less dramatic. Yeah. Super cool. Well, I am so excited. I think that's one thing we'll make sure we put on the show notes is that you are you have that updated on our website, right? Yeah, I updated. I was preparing. <laughs> yeah, so that's up there, but we'll make sure that's in the show notes too under what you do because I think that's super helpful and I love it. And I could talk about brain spotting all day, but you are here. You are going to talk about something else that I think is also equally important. And I don't think we've talked about this, maybe briefly with Luke at one point last year, but... Talking about family disclosure and what is that, what it looks like, and how that's different from even a couple's therapeutic disclosure. So I'd love to hear your thoughts and yeah, just thoughts and opinions and advice on that topic. Yeah, no, I'd love to 
to cover both. I think we'll get to the brain spotting. And I'm also really excited about the betrayed families straining and the idea that, okay, we've got this, we've got this therapeutic disclosure between the couples and they're like, they work towards that and that's really healthy, but we're also need to step back and recognize that the family, right. As a whole system, like the kids will are noticing differences, right? They're saying, okay, like maybe my mom's gone a lot or maybe my mom's crying a lot and, and maybe dad's really grumpy and he's on a lot of meetings and there's more fighting than usual. And if they're left to their own, they might take on some of that and say, oh, is it something that I did? I need to be better. I need to be different. I need to become a caretaker or I need to like not be a problem for anyone. And that's where they're taking on stuff that's not theirs. Yeah. And so if we can, in a healthy way, recognize that the children are affected and getting to a point where, okay, both partners are in a healthy space where then they can, in a healthy way, share like the minimum that needs to be shared in order for those feelings to be validated. Because I see it as if we don't, if we don't find a way to do that, it's like where you have a betrayed spouse, like having the intuition that something's wrong and then being gaslit or not being validated and like that and knowing, or as the kid might think, oh, uh, there's something wrong. They've got the sense too, but what do they do with that? What do we do with it? So. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's really important. I, I want to start off honestly by just slowing that down and knowing the level of mama bears that listen to our podcast and even I'll speak for myself how difficult this journey is not only for yourself but when you do start to think about the impact that it has on your children what that does and I'm sure it impacts fathers but I'll just speak as a mother it, it impacts so deeply and I just want to preface everything we're talking about here by just saying that like, yes, children are impacted. All humans are going to be impacted as part of the human experience, but children are impacted, but not lifelong damage. And I think we need to be very clear when we talk about children and family members being impacted, but whether that's by the addict's behavior or like my behavior to my children, I gaslight the hell, gaslighted the hell out of my children. We're like, mom, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I did it to try and protect them, but yeah. still gaslit them, right? And that impacted them. It created attachment wounds, but it didn't damage them lifelong. And that is what I just really want our listeners to know. And because I did my healing, do my healing, because I... Mm -hmm focused on me because it's not selfish and I got myself to a good grounding place in that growth mindset, I can then help heal with my children those, those impacts that I created for them. And so they then have an opportunity to heal and so on and so forth. So I just wanted to lay that foundation down as we go in to talk about the impact any of your brains, of those of you listening who are like, oh crap, my kids are damaged. They're screwed up forever. What have I done? No. No, no, no. Healing is always a choice and possible. 
Absolutely. And it is not selfish to do your own work, to get into a, a place where you can be healthy and stable uh, for those around you. Right? So you got to put the oxygen mask on you first, right? So, yep. And I really like the idea during the, the Betrayed Families training of, of, a, of breadcrumbs is the way they put that. So Jessica Edens was the trainer. She's fantastic with absats. And she said, okay, what if you're not ready, right? For your space, your partner's space. What if you're not ready for the family level, like full disclosure yet? Well, you can still, and you, you're still showing up maybe in ways that you don't want to show up and your kids are noticing. And she said, you can leave breadcrumbs. You can say, okay, if they say something, they're like, yes, upset. And, but it, it doesn't have anything to do with you where you don't necessarily, they're not ready. You're not ready to connect it to the bigger issue, but you're also making that space emotionally. So they can be like, okay, I don't have to be different. I'm okay with who I am and mom's struggling and that's okay. Or dad's struggling and he's working on it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And okay, I'll just be honest. Breadcrumbing, my body had a little bit of a response to only because that term gets used when we're talking about abusive behavior. And oh. Yeah, there's this breadcrumbing that you buy into. So I know that's not what you mean, but just in case listeners are like, that just, I just had a response to that. I don't care. Cake crumbings. You can leave little chocolate cake crumbs for your kids. But what you're seeing, essentially the principle that you're talking about there, I really like that idea. Only because I know, Anthony, I get a lot of, I get a lot of those questions. What do I tell? How much do I tell? And one thing that I've learned, I'd love to know your thoughts on this, but one thing I've learned just personal experience too, but when kids are asking questions, they're not, I'm going to say, I'm going to make up a statistic here. 99.9% .9 of the time, they're not necessarily asking you the question to learn more about you. They're asking the question to learn more about them, about their safety, their system, their world. Am I okay in this space? And I think that's really important to recognize and remember when your kids come and talk or ask a question. Because how you respond and answer needs to not be from a place of like me trying to get them to understand me. So one thing that I'll do is just ask a question in return to get more curious about what it is they're really wanting to know for themselves about what they're asking. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because you may be like, I totally agree with that. And you may have a completely different thought of what they're trying to ask. And if you assume, you know, you might give away more than is necessary. Yeah. Learn from hardcore experience right here. My poor baby girls. Yeah. That, that happened. So I think just asking a question back to get more clarity of what is it that you're really wanting to know here? What are, what are you feeling and being able to address that? Okay, let's start with, Anthony, why don't you just tell us about what a family disclosure would even look like? And how do you know if that's something that, that you need? Okay, family disclosure 
right? It's going to be similar to your therapeutic couple disclosure. So you're going to have a support team with you. You're going to have you know, a coach or a therapist for each of you and potentially someone there to also support any, the children involved. And then there's also someone that's supposed to be organizing all of the logistics. So in that case right now, that would be me, like, like the quarterback of, of the team. And it's, it's a joint project. So each partner chills out, does some self-reflection on what they want. Why are they doing this? What do they want for their children? And there's a joint authored document that you get feedback and you share that. And that's part of what is, when that's in a finalized space that it has been reviewed and checked off as, okay, this is, this does what it's supposed to do with the language, right? There's no blaming. There's no, it just, it provides the least amount of information necessary to basically validate the sense and the experience of, of the, the children involved. And so that's shared in a, in a supportive uh, environment. And so that's, that's, that's ideally what it looks like. Now things aren't always ideal, right? And so there is an option if you are a single parent or if you got a divorce and the, the husband wants nothing to do with it and he's not in a good space, there's also an option to write your own. And it's the same thing where like, let's review this and make sure that it's meeting the healthy expectations and, and goals that we're trying to do. And it's kid folk. It's not adult folks, right? The mm. purpose is to help them. So if you're like, if you're not in a good space, I know the training talked about, if you're like crying in the corner the whole time, like then it becomes about you and it, it's not about them. It doesn't mean you're not going to cry. Right. So, but just, that's why it's good to, to work towards that stability and that, that healthiness story. You can provide that space for your kids too. And it's kind of like, I liken it a little bit to like, you know, the, the sex talk where, you know, it's not just one talk, right? It's like, leave it open for conversation for coming back because each, each stage, each new experience they have as they get older, the meaning is going to change. And so they're going to come back with different questions and have different thoughts and different connections. So just having that open dialogue is super important after Right. So it's not one and done. Yeah. Okay. So as you're talking, I'm thinking about family in particular. There's different ages in the children. What's the protocol around that when you've got different ages? So some kids are going to want to know more information age appropriate to maybe an older teen versus a five-year-old. How does that get handled? Mm, great question. So you want to have somebody that is familiar with like child development and adolescent development. And so that the information is developmentally appropriate, age appropriate. And you're right. Like a little kid is going to have a much shorter attention span, right? Than have been your teenager. And so it's really important to like work with the families and find out on a case by case, kid by kid basis, like what is it that they're going to need? Because like some kids are like, I don't really want much of anything, right? And others are like, I want to know all about it. And so it's really a family by family basis. Okay. You just said something that spurred another thought. I'm thinking about moms right now listening, okay? And fathers too. I'm not trying to leave men out of this. But I've got parents listening and they're just like, ooh, I, I think this might be really helpful for my kiddos. But then there's that kid that's like, 
I don't want to hear anything. Don't talk to me about any of it. Like, screw you all the thing. But you know that deep down, they really are just wanting this. They're wanting peace. They're wanting answers. They're wanting safety. Mm -hmm. How would you approach that situation? What would be your, your guidance there? Well, what immediately comes to mind is sometimes kids are going to be more open to the very same thing that you say as a parent when it comes out of somebody else's mouth, right? So I am, that, it might be good to have, okay, maybe have them have a conversation with, with a coach or with a therapist, but also be very open about, okay, here's, here's, here's the purpose of this, right? And if you need to talk with somebody or have a conversation with them, just here's another supportive person in your environment that's, you know, just for you. Yeah. I'm almost wondering, tell me your thoughts about this. I'm almost wondering too, like, maybe it's, maybe it's not the entire family right now, right? Maybe if I have like a two-year-old and a five-year-old, they're not part of this. And then I have three teenagers and two would benefit from it and want it and one doesn't. Okay. Then the two come on in and when you one child that don't want it right now are ready, we'll do this again. We'll do this, like you said, as many times as you need to. But what are your thoughts about that? Well, that respects like the, the needs and the wants of, of the children. And I think that that's a very real life kind of example and, and scenario, right? It's not like, okay, we're all going to this family meeting. We're happy to be here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So... I think that makes a lot of sense. And especially when they're really young, uh, really the focus is on, on supporting the parents and because the kids are going to, they're, they're not really going to know or be able to process like what's going on too well. And right. so, but teenagers for sure, they're going to have some opinions. They're going to have some strong feelings. They're going to notice stuff. They sometimes are snoopy and find things. So they know more than you think they do. They have little, my, I would always say you have little satellite dishes for ears. Just like, you know, I think I was hiding or whatever. And it was just like, doo -doo 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 -doo, their little ears beep. It just, for sure. Fine. And I'm like, how did you know? But yeah. You're not listening when I talk to you directly. But when, when I'm trying to say something you shouldn't be listening to, you're like right on it. It's like, beep, 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 beep. I know, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So then. I don't know. I don't think you briefly maybe talked about this, but when would this not be helpful? So like someone comes to you and they say, oh, I think I want this. What would be reasons for you to say not right now and why? Great question. So some like suicidality with anybody and self-harming kinds of things. If there's really in instability is kind of a, a key. So if there's lots of instability in one partner or both partners or, or in, in the kids, then there's still some, some preparation work that, that needs to be done. It's not to say we like have to be perfect, right? But we need to, to, to work towards that, that stability so that you're able to, to say these really hard things and share them and, and make space for, for what the kids need. Uh, now on the, the other hand, uh, there may be some like problematic sexual behaviors going on with your kids. And that might actually be an indicator that says, okay, this is one of the reasons why we need to do this. So they can make those connections. 
we understand we're also going through and working through stuff. And so that can actually bring, bring you closer together. So what you're saying more specifically is that, and this happens so often, right, is now you're noticing that your teenager is struggling with masturbation, pornography use, or an unhealthy view of sexual compulsive behaviors and, or unhealthy view of sexuality and then compulsive sexual behaviors are showing up rather than jumping into fear and freaking out and thinking that it's, you're saying that this type of family disclosure can also put some of the pieces together for the child. And really, as I'm saying this out loud, I'm thinking, gosh, how shame reducing this would be. For sure. Yeah. Have you seen the book, A Light in the Darkness? Yeah. <laughs> right. So the, the author talks had about like, carried shame, right? Part of that is not having these conversations and then having this like, okay, this is our stuff or this is my stuff. This is your stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. We, we work towards, you know, what is a ha- what does a healthy family look like? Yeah. What does that look like? So I know I had reactions when I saw like the list of things. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, so I don't want that to be like, that's a natural experience. But some of the easier things would be like, saying I'm sorry, right? And like, I used to be horrible at that. Like that was not modeled at all growing up. And, uh, but my wife did a fantastic job of that and she still does. And so I've been able to learn from her, but really saying I'm sorry, not just to her, but also getting in the habit of apologizing like to our kids. Like, cause maybe I was upset with something else and they got caught in the crossfire and okay, this isn't you. I'm sorry. I didn't act in the way that I want to be. And it's because I'm upset and it has nothing to do with you. I like overreact. And so just modeling that helps them and then promotes them to be able to do that in their own relationship. So that's just one really, and I say it's an easy example, but maybe it's not depending on where you come from, but like, oh. exactly. I don't think it's easy if you, like you said, haven't been used to hearing that yourself growing up or having that modeled. And one thing I'll add to the I'm sorry, I think it's so important. And your example you gave right there, how beautiful is that to our children's attachment and, and nervous system even to clarify this isn't you, this is me. This isn't about you, this is totally about me. How beautiful and healthy that is. And then I'll just add one thing. We've talked about this before, but I love do-overs. Oh, yeah. I love just even saying to my kids, can I have a do-over when I did intentionally speak to them in a very rude way where I'm like, listen to you a little bit. But that was intentional. I can't just, sometimes just I'm sorry isn't enough. It's can I do it again? Because mm-hmm. I still want to make this point. I still feel really strongly about what I'm saying, but I want to do it over in a way that's healthier. And so that for me also goes along with, I'm sorry. It's just, can I have a do-over on that one? So. I like that. And your, your do-over suggestion. Sometimes I will invite my teenage daughter to, would you like to try that again? Like just in like a happy face and a nice tone. And that's like, wait, okay. Maybe one came out. Wasn't like a great tone. So yeah, I'll maybe pick some different words. So, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, but Exactly. I love it. 
Okay. Keep going with your awesome list. What's the next? Another. So, yeah. So feelings are encouraged and tolerated. Right. So it's okay to be mad. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be upset. Right. We're not telling them not to feel or or hide their feelings or only. I know, especially like the way that the boys and and guys are socialized. Right. Don't cry. Be a man. Like, and so basically those emotions are devalued. So you also learn to devalue them and not recognize them within yourself. And then you get in relationships and like, well, all I know is like anger and frustration. And that is not very functional in like a healthy relationship. So there's a lot of like learning that has to go on. That's one of them. There's a fun one. Sex is normalized and talked about. Like it's just part of who we are as humans. And I know that the the more comfortable we can get as parents talking about that, the better it'll be for our kids. Cause it's, I know I had the talk and like, it was never talked about again. And the talk, right. <laughs> even, even called that, right. There's the punctuation, just like with the disclosure, having it be this ongoing open conversation. And because who do you want your kids to get information from? Right. And I know, yeah, my kid's health class, like that hasn't been a great source of information on that. So we're like, oh, what you should have been learning was this. Yeah. Well, the beautiful part of that too is you get to impart your value system and share that value system that you've cultivated and developed and redefined and realigned with even after, after recovery. And share that with them and then encourage them to cultivate their own value system around that, especially the older they get, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, you're old enough to start figuring out what you want uh, to value here around sexuality. But here's a, here's a guide. Here's something that I have found value in. And so I'm going to, you know, encourage you to start here. I really love that. A quick thought and memory that came to me as you were talking about normalizing sex and that conversation in our homes years and years ago. I didn't even have my boys yet at the time. I had this friend who had five boys and she would talk about the conversations that they had in her home with these five boys. And it was always about sex, always about pornography, all like over the dinner table, like nonstop. And my mouth would always just be dropped open like you do not. And I even remember feeling like that's not okay. If you're talking about it too much, then they're going to do it. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. is you know, how I, that, that's the messaging that I got, right? But I'll never forget that example. And I'm so grateful for her example of sharing that with me and how that impacted her children and her honestly bravery, because this was years, this was over a decade ago. Of being able to have that kind of conversation so openly with her boys, it definitely stuck with me. And when my boys came and I became a single mom, it was me. It was me having all those conversations over and over and over. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for that example. I'm so grateful for the open communication and safety. That's the key word is that that word is safe in our home. That word is not taboo. It is not evil. It is not scary it is safe and that was a huge um value non-negotiable value for me 
in creating the environment in my home. So I love that you added that into what does a healthy family look like? That, yeah, that's, that's amazing. And then you had that, that reference like, oh, I've seen what this looks like. Yay. <laughs> yeah. It was so, I love that she shared that with me. Okay. What's another one? So this one we hit on quite a bit, but knowing like what is our stuff as parents and what is, what is not and being able to like own that. And when we act outside our value system, also own that and, and, and allow our, our kids to grow up healthy and, and be kids. And I also want to say like, if like nobody's doing all of these things, 100%. So the idea is like, well, like a little bit of improvement, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pick, I'm saying I'm apologizing, right? I'm going to try and focus on, I'm going to do a better job of apologizing when it's my stuff. And you could say like, I'm a parent, you're a kid, there's a power differential. Like I don't have any need to apologize to you, but that is not helping them learn how to negotiate healthy relationships. So if I'm wanting, I want my daughter to learn to apologize. So I'm like working to do that with her. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just basic relational maturity too and intimacy. It's, this is what we do in relationships is we own our stuff, acknowledge our stuff, account and apologize for our stuff on our part. One thing that I'll add into this one, Anthony, like knowing what is yours and not, I, I look at that also as knowing what's your emotions and what's not. Our kids are going to have really big emotions, especially if there is activation going on, high activation going on in the home when we're still trying to establish the safety and the stabilization. Mm -hmm. There's going to be big rage, maybe even emotions. And I think one of the, one of the top like golden nuggets that I learned along the way is that number one, I can't control my kids' emotions. I didn't cause it and I can't control it and I can't cure it. And that it's okay that they have big emotions. That when our children are feeling big, just to know that I don't need to always jump in and fix it. I don't need to make them feel better. If they're angry because they feel in their bodies a disruption in the dynamic of the home because someone impacted the disrupt the, the safety and stabilization in the home by their addiction, then I want them to feel that big emotion. They're right. Something isn't right. And their emotion is right. And so I just want to add that one in there too, that you don't have to always jump in and fix your kid's emotion. Just like we tell all of you listeners, it's okay to feel angry. That's information that's telling you something. So it is with them. And if we're just like, no, you can't be angry or don't be angry or whatever, you're denying that information that their own body is telling them about the situation as well. They need boundaries too. Yeah, that's beautiful. Like, and they can feel those big emotions. And like I said, you can be mad. That's okay. You're still not getting your way, but you can, you're welcome to feel mad about it. Like, yeah, that's natural. Yeah. You can feel it, just not react, right? Like you can't. <laughs> Destroy property, hurt other people, or hurt yourself. That was the rules. I was like, you can feel whatever you can. Our home just became a swearing home. I just let that, I let that one go. I'm like, whatever, just swear away. But 
you cannot hurt yourself, other people, or destroy property. But mm-hmm. feel this is a safe place to feel. Feel and heal. Emotional regulations. Yep. Well, Anthony, I cannot believe how much time just flew by in our conversation today. What what do you anything else you want our listeners to know before we wrap up today? Wow. I would just say that pay attention to the potential of, you know, if if recovery is getting blocked and you've been working on skills and having some success, it may be that there's some trauma in your past that needs to be addressed. And brain slotting is an absolutely amazing technique to address that. And it'll help connect with, with emotions. The brain will process things. You just have to give it the opportunity and work with somebody that's trained to help you there. So I think that's super helpful. And just, you know, go out with some self-compassion and know that this is really hard work. And I just, my heart goes out to everybody that is, that is working through and and passing through all of this. And uh, if you, if you feel like you need help, absolutely reach out. There's support there. There's professionals to, to help them, help men, help women, help now shoes is going to have, we're going to have this built out to be able to specialize in helping families in their recovery from this. And on the other side. Like there's amazing relationships and there's amazing, like living authentically and it is absolutely possible and absolutely worth it. Gotta, gotta put in the grind to get there. I love it. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And I just, I agree with everything you just said there. And I'm really proud to be a part of Choose Recovery and the, the training, the quality of training, the professional training, the, with the latest right? Research-backed modalities and procedures to help all of you who are experiencing the impact from addiction, from betrayal and betrayal violence. And there's, there's always hope and healing, always. And I know that that's one of the things that all of us that choose are really passionate about sharing that message is that there is hope and healing when you choose it. So Anthony, thank you so much. What a wonderful conversation. Uh, you're an amazing coach. It's an honor to be your colleague. Thank you, Amy. Appreciated the opportunity. It was lots of fun. Love it. All too often when a partner discovers that there are secret behaviors in their relationship, they get what is called drip disclosures. Drip disclosures refer to the gradual release of information, often over an extended period of time after the betrayal or traumatic event. And these drips of information can keep re-traumatizing partners and prevent the full truth from coming forward. The full disclosure process allows a more thorough and gentle path towards getting needed information without these repeated traumas. Choose Recovery is committed to providing the highest level of transparency and accountability to our clients. We believe that full therapeutic disclosure is a critical component of building both relational and individual trust. Choose Recovery is the leader in this process through how we run disclosures. Coaches and therapists have been thoroughly trained in full disclosures, and we are ready to help you take the next step forward so that you can choose. Choose Recovery, choose healing, and choose you. Take care, everybody. 